everybody and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host Alex Klein and we've got an interesting double episode for us today. I'm really hoping I can pull off the way I write this title, but essentially uh, we're going to be talking about 65 and 95 and that 95 being the 95th Oscars. 65 being um, how many millions of years ago uh, the movie 65 is based on. So uh, I did go see that, uh, actually both of those things, yesterday. And I'm excited to talk about both of them. This was a really great Oscar season and uh, turned out to be a really great Oscars award ceremony as well. So before we dive into that, I'll give a brief review of this film, 65, which uh, if you're already guessing why it's not getting its own episode, uh, it is because there's not a lot that I have to say about this movie. Um, It's brand new, so it's just now in theaters, and it has the unfortunate um, luck of coming out the exact same week as Scream. So, uh, you know, there's an interesting conversation to be had there, too, when it comes to box office scores uh, or box office dollars, I guess you could say. Right. So, um, you know, Scream did really well over the weekend. Um, Highest franchise franchise record of opening weekend, just like Creed, which is, again, crazy that, you know, these sequels are making so much money comparatively to their predecessors. But 65 did not do so well. I think it made $10 million over the weekend. And the sad part about that is the budget for this film, I think has been rumored to be like $90 million, which is kind of shocking for how short the film is. Uh, it's only 90 minutes long, so it's a, it's a quick one. Um, and in that sense, uh, to me, that's probably one of the best things about it. Uh, and it's not, it's not a bad film. But, uh, you know, my, my family, my brother will tease me sometimes, something called The Gone Girl 9. Uh, Gone Girl is a film that I gave a 9 to, but I hate that movie. Uh, it frustrated me to no end. It was so uh, just, I, I was cringing almost the entire film just because of how upset I was. That And again, obviously, you know, in the context of that movie, right, you know, you guys all know the story of Gone Girl from what I remember because I only saw it the one time. Uh, maybe I even saw it one more time, but, uh, you know, she's basically gaslighting her husband and making it out that he is this person who murdered her. She faked her own death. And th- that kind of plot just annoys me because I get so mad while I'm watching it. I'm like, this guy's clearly innocent. And again, I don't care who it is. I don't know. I don't care if it's a, it's a wife doing it to her wife, uh, a man doing it to his wife, his husband. It doesn't matter what the relationship is. Just the fact that we as the audience can see all of this and it gets telegraphed out like that and we can't do anything about it just annoys me. And so I also recognize that that film is really good. It was a really good movie. It was gripping. I was on the edge of my seat and I had strong opinions about it, but I didn't like it for that very reason. And so that there are certain films like that where I'll say, okay, you know what? I didn't like it, but I recognize that it was a really good movie. I'll give it a higher score. And then there's films on the other end of that spectrum. Uh, And I'm sure you're familiar with these. Sometimes these end up being our favorite movies, right? The ones that are objectively not good movies or movies that are just kind of eh, but they're enjoyable. You had a good time while you were in the theater. Uh, It was fun to see. Maybe you're not going to go see it again. Uh, And 65 falls in that category. Uh, It's in the same exact category as Cocaine Bear, uh, which is funny because, again, two films now that, um, you know, I've seen 
Uh, and again, that's the that's the hit or miss kind of quality when you start going to the movies a bunch. Is there's going to be some films that are just kind of in the middle of the road, and that's okay. We we need those films too. You know, these people are try, trying their best. There's a ton of people that are working to make these movies possible. And clearly, right, if the the budget is 90 million, but what I really enjoyed too was as the credits were rolling, there's only four actors in this film. They are uh, Adam Driver, which was the driving force of why I went and go see this movie. The second being it's dinosaurs. Again, you guys know I love dinosaurs. Uh, but it's uh, he's the main guy. But then Ariana Greenblatt plays a young girl in here, too. Uh, I didn't realize it while I was watching it, but she is young Gamora from Infinity War, which was really cool. Uh, Chloe Coleman, as well as uh, Mills's daughter, uh, Adam Driver's daughter, she's from My Spy. Uh, she was in Avatar Way of Water, believe it or not, too. So she's uh, she's also in Dungeons and Dragons, I'm seeing on here, too. So she's making her money. She's doing good. She's uh, another young actress. Um, and that's what she was in. She was in Gunpowder Milkshake as well. That was another one of those fun but uh, unmemorable movies. And then uh, Nika King, who uh, plays Adam Driver's uh, wife. And she, uh, I think, was in something, too, where I was like, oh, that's nice. No, no, no. She was in uh, She was in Euphoria. Uh, which uh, I've only seen a little bit of Euphoria. I know, I know, I know. But uh, written and directed by Scott Beck and Brian Woods, who also did uh, A Quiet Place 2. So they're no strangers to making really good movies. And this movie had the potential to be a really great movie, um, you know, a really exciting premise. But there was also just a couple of things, I think, that held it back from being so. And so I'll talk about that. Again, I don't think there's any spoilers uh, to be had for this film. And even me saying that kind of alludes to why it is the way that it is. Um, Adam Driver was great. I enjoyed him. He's always he's one of my favorite actors. So, I, you know, seeing him on screen acting as this gruff guy and, and it, basically the premise of this movie is a advanced civilization from beyond time so it opens up really cool it reminded me a little bit of like tree of life interstellar where you know talking about how um before before the advent of mankind i think is what the text on the screen says that um you know there were other civilizations that that explored the stars uh, which is, you know, that, that whole idea, right, of advanced civilizations, ancient aliens, uh, which is one I love that topic. I think it's fascinating. And so to see that explored here, or to the idea of it being explored, was very exciting. And uh, it's, it opens up. Adam Driver is part of that advanced civilization, him, his wife, his daughter. But for some reason, um, his daughter has like an incurable disease that we only see as basically a cough. And uh, I'm wondering to myself, okay, so you've got this advanced civilization that doesn't have, uh, you know, proper medical care. Uh, sounds a lot like America, if you know what I mean. But uh, it just, to me, that, that was one of those things where there's a fascinating story behind that. I mean, so this guy has to take a job uh, exploring the stars, essentially, uh, for two years, and he has to, you know, he has to tell his daughter that, you know, I'm going to be gone for two years uh, in order to make the money to pay for her, uh, whatever this is, her affliction. They don't ever, they don't ever say what it is. Uh, it is an interesting concept. So it's like, huh, you know, even, <laughs> even 65 million years ago, there was, uh, there was drama on other planets. 
Uh, and, they, you know, no other background beyond that. We don't know anything else. And then it picks up, you know, he's in space and uh, runs into an undocumented asteroid field that crashes his ship and it crash lands on an alien planet that ends up, surprise, surprise, being Earth 65 million years ago. Now, real astute historians uh, will understand the implications of that date. I was so excited to just see dinosaurs that I forgot what that date is in our history. Uh, and for those of you that don't know, I won't spoil what it is in the movie. <laughs> I'll just tell you what it is in real life, which is, uh, <laughs> for those of you that don't know, 65 million years ago, an asteroid crash landed on Earth, knocking out and killing almost the entire population of life on the planet. Uh, and so, honestly... Uh, you know, that was an enjoyable piece of the film for me was forgetting that part because I was so excited about it. I just was like, oh, 65 million years ago. Um, I can't wait to see the dinosaurs. But there's a there's a moment in the movie where uh, it becomes apparent. And I was like, oh, OK, OK, this is this just suddenly got interesting. So he crash lands on this uh, planet and the entire crew. And so he's basically piloting like a, a bunch of pods of people who, again, they don't explain what this is, but I'm assuming he's taking these people to start a new life somewhere, or I don't even know. They, they never explain it, but they all die except for one. Like, all the pods are busted, the ship's exploded, uh, and he finds one pod that is uh, alive, and it is this young nine-year-old girl who conveniently is basically the same age as his daughter. And as the movie goes on, that's that's about as much background as I will give um, to kind of avoid any other spoilers. Again, like I said, these spoilers are so minor, and I you know I'll I would love for more people to see this film, if only so that this movie can make its budget back to tell people we like seeing this sort of stuff because the concept is super cool. So that concept, again, all of this being build up to the concept, which is what happens. It's a survival movie. Of a, of a dad and uh, his quote-unquote daughter. So think of, you know, any other movie like that. I know a lot of people probably would make Last of Us comparisons as well. and uh, But at the same time, set in the Cretaceous period. And this person from this advanced civilization has super advanced technology and tools to help him survive. And that was one of my favorite parts of the movie too. The tools that they have, he has super cool even though he's crash landed on this planet there's plenty of things to keep him safe but at the same time there's a lot of creatures out there a lot of dinos that are hungry for blood and uh, that's essentially the story can um can they reach the other half of the ship that's on top of the mountain that has the escape pod that will get them off the planet and so it is essentially just a survival movie of them trying to get there they're battling bugs dinosaurs quicksand um, basically anything that could go wrong does go wrong um, but they're able to uh, you know kind of try and find their way out of a lot of these situations and so um, in that sense the movie was incredibly basic uh, there's I don't think was a moment where I thought to myself you know they're not going to get out of this uh, but at the same time the dinosaurs and the situations were very tense so there was definitely an entertainment value there. Getting to see these tools in action was really cool. There's this one tool that is a uh, like a scanner almost that you know you flip it up and it can scan the area. Like it tells them how far away they are from the mountain. But there's a scene where they're in a cave, 
and uh, it like does a 3D rendering of the cave because it's pitch black and there's a dinosaur in the cave that he's trying to find and there's a really, really cool um, camera scene of like the camera focusing on that versus what's going on so you can see what's happening on the scanner but you can't see it it's very cool like i said there's there's a lot of brief moments of excitement in here the relationship between him and this new girl is also um wrinkled by uh, and i really liked this but at the same time it was kind of frustrating she does not speak english she speaks a language that we don't know what it is that he mentions it's from some northern colony i liked it because you know it makes sense right even in an advanced civilization not everyone's going to be speaking the same language there's going to be people at different areas of the planet that have their own cultures and societies so that part was really cool but again at the same time it really adds to the frustration of trying to survive when you know this young girl doesn't really understand what he's saying but slowly does through you know him trying to communicate so like i said there's a lot of pieces to this that were great really fun but again the the situation itself is uh it wasn't there's just something about it where there it could have been so much more i, I would have loved to have seen more technology i would have loved to have seen how the technology was made um, I would have loved to seen what his actual job was. What is it that he does? Why is he there? Like, there's so many questions. And I would have loved to have just seen this advanced civilization. So when you think about that, um, and it's sad to say, and I did see this in some reviews around, there could have been a lot more world building. Um, I, I would argue that you can world build in a film without saying, okay, we're building a franchise. This movie did not need to, <laughs> there's no franchise potential with this movie. And I'm not saying that to spoil anything. I'm just saying, again, if you know what happened 65 million years ago, there's no franchise potential. <laughs> but uh, at the same time, like give us five more minutes of, you know, behind the scenes and the, there's time for it, right? Because it's only a 90 minute film. With that said too, if you aren't enjoying it, um, you know, it, there were moments where I was like, okay, you know, where is this going? This all treading on maybe possibly a little bit tedious, uh, but it's only 90 minutes. So the movie flies by and the credits were really cool uh, because, again, <laughs> you know what happens at the end of 65 million years. So once that happens, uh, the credits are essentially like a time span of, of Earth being kind of created almost honestly it looked like denver is what i said when the movie ended i was like that kind of looks like denver it was just just this area where uh you know they built it out but again it was really cool to see the credits roll and there will only be four cast members um i thought that was cool again they took some swings i'm interested to see how this film does with uh the tepid box office and again that's because scream and uh, just looking based on my movie theater scream is in the dolby theater uh creed is in the imax theater and they've got a bunch more show times than this movie did. So it's the same thing that happened with Avatar. These movies just take over. Marvel's the same way. These movies take over the box office. And if another movie wants to have a good box office weekend, it really needs to consider moving to a different date. And I would have really wanted that to happen for this film. This would have been a perfect little summer movie that they could have debuted at the maybe like end of May, beginning of June. Man, they could have debuted this in January and probably would have been fine. But honestly, April, May, June would have been perfect because I think people are coming back to the theaters this month for sure. And so they're going to want more content, but this movie will be gone by then, uh, just like the dinosaurs. So 
Um, and, and then that'd be the last thing I'd say. The dinosaurs themselves were very interesting. I still don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. Um, they, they're beautifully rendered and it made sense why the box office was what it was or not box office, sorry, the budget, um, $90 million. They look good. The monsters look really good, but some of these dinosaurs looked like, uh, like, I don't know, like a Komodo dragon or a dog. Um, you know, like T-Rexes walking on all fours that have legs that are able to do that. Again, very scary to see something like that chasing Adam Driver, but at the same time, my belief was suspended a little bit or not suspended in this case because I was like, that's not actually how the dinosaurs were, were they? But again, who knows? I wasn't there. All we have are the renderings that we have. We just have the bones. So um, it was cool. Otherwise, there's one really, really creepy, scary bug moment. Um, if you're not a fan of bugs, oh my Lord, um, that was stressful. But other than that, like I said, perfectly enjoyable movie. I liked it. Um, I gave it a six out of 10. Uh, so again, it's in that cocaine bear territory where is it a great movie? No, not really. But if you like that sort of stuff, if you like Adam Driver, if you like dinosaurs, I'd say check it out. Honestly, I would say go see it because again, I think this movie needs a little bit of money. Um, I, I went to a matinee. It was free for me for A-list, but the tickets were 10 bucks. So it's like you can't really go wrong with that. Um, but yeah, so it was good. I enjoyed it. And now the second half of our show, we are traveling from 65 to 95, and that is the 95th Oscars, which was televised last night on ABC. Uh, I'm sure there are replays out there, and uh, you know, Lord knows, at least just from me on Twitter, everyone's got their pictures and videos of different favorite scenes and all of that stuff, so many of you maybe already are aware of a lot of the things on there, but for those of you that aren't, uh, I'll run through all of the winners, my thoughts on the night, and uh, a little interesting tidbit from the pre-show. So uh, all I got to say is I um, I turned it on because I have, I have an antenna. I don't have cable or anything like that. And, you know, for some reason, Disney won't stream this on uh, Disney+. Plus. They just choose to put it on ABC, um, which just still baffles me in this day and age. But I was able to finally get a decent connection. Uh, it wasn't perfect. It was kind of glitchy, but I enjoyed the show. Uh, the pre-show, uh, I just got a call out because I feel like this needs to be his, his, <laughs> historized is what I was going to say. This needs to be put down in history. Hugh Grant uh, seems like, you know, he's the kind of guy at this point. I'm wondering if uh, anyone's going to try and prank call him and say that he's huge ass because... Uh, he was kind of rude, not kind of, he was very rude to an interviewer in the pre-show. He showed up, and again, I don't know why he even did. If he wasn't wanting to be interviewed, you can easily walk past people. Um, but he was inter being interviewed by Ash, her name is Ashley, I don't remember what her last name is, and she was doing a great job, and he wouldn't answer her questions. He asked her, or she asked him what uh, he was wearing, and, uh, you know, as they always ask people, and he said a suit, which was like, okay, dude. And then, you know, are they, is he hoping for anyone in particular to win? He said no one in particular. Asked about his work on Glass Onion. And he said, uh, well, it was only like three seconds. And when he walked away, he rolled his eyes and gave like a really rude, I'm like, I don't know. Again, he, he came out, the only reason he was there was he was one of the presenters at the awards ceremony. And he seemed totally fine there. He did call himself a scrotum, which was his words, not mine. Uh, but I kind of like that name for him now because I'm I'm curious if he's uh, kind of putting up a front when he's talking because he's a very suave guy. 
but uh, to me, the the telltale sign of who somebody is is how they treat people who are quote unquote less than, right? You know, the little people, as I would call it. And and that's a perfect example of them, right? The interviewers on the red carpet. Not a lot of people are watching that. It is live, though, and recorded. So all of that is going to be uh, memorialized on film. And to me, it, it's the easiest way to get in trouble, right? If you're a, a mean person, a bad person, just don't interview. I don't know why you would need to be a snot to somebody, but he was, and uh, I'm going to have a very hard time supporting him going forward, not that I was ever supporting him beforehand, but I, I guess before yesterday, if you'd have asked me my thoughts on Hugh Grant, I would have said he's a charming guy, uh, but now I don't think so, so much. Uh, kind of seems like he might be a little bit of a scrotum, so got to call that out first. Um, from there, the show itself, the Academy Awards, um, this this is, as some other people have equated it this way too, this is my Super Bowl. Um, though I'm I'm getting into football quite a bit, so I'm really enjoying the Super Bowl too. But this really is my Super Bowl. I wait all year for the Oscars. I filled out my ballot. I tracked my ballot. You guys know from the prior episodes, I saw so many of the nominees this year. And uh, this year's Oscars, hands down, was one of the best Oscars uh, in recent memory for me. I would say at least in the last five years, I think. Uh, Cause you know how these go. They're, you know, okay, we're gonna give they give some pity nominations to, um, you know, Black Panther being Best Picture. We know it's not gonna win. That's fine. I'm glad it's being recognized, and I've slowly grown into that space now, to where uh, I'm kind of seeing the trajectory of these awards. And this night, um, like I said, was just hands down the best. Uh, first things first, there were some upsets both good and bad, and we've got to address the first one, which was the um, the very first award, which was, uh, well, not first award, that was Best Animated Feature, which went to Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. Congrats, we all saw that coming. But what we did not see coming was Jamie Lee Curtis winning Best Supporting Actress, not just over Angela Bassett, but also over Stephanie Hsu and Hong Chow and Carrie Condon. Um... Uh, okay, look, and, and this is where if I was ranking these for this year, I would have said Angela Bassett, give her the Oscar. And honestly, everyone was saying that. That's why this was an upset. Uh, but then from there, I would have given it to Stephanie. And then from there, I would have given it to Hong before Jamie. Jamie did fine. And I understand that the there's this idea of... Uh, and this was something they really called out this year, which, again, was glad that there were so many first-time nominees like Colin Farrell, Brendan Fraser, Austin Butler, uh, I think Jamie Lee Curtis, maybe? Um, there's a, Michelle Yeoh. There's a lot of them, uh, which was great. We need that. We need fresh blood. We need this new thing. And we'll, we'll talk about why I think this is kind of moving in this direction as well. Jamie Lee Curtis has an amazing body of work. She's been killing it recently uh, in the Halloween franchise. Again, say what you will about the Halloween movies, but she has driven those films. She has done such a good job. Was her performance in Everything Everywhere All at Once Oscar-worthy? Um, I guess maybe in, in a certain year it could have been, but when you're stacked up against other people within that movie who did better than her and Angela Bassett, to me, that was a huge shock. And it was honestly, it was a shock to Angela Bassett. She did not look like she was happy about it, did not see her clap, um, which again, I don't blame her. I, I think the buzz, the mathematics that we talked about in the last uh, Oscars episode were in her favor. 
She has won a ton of awards because of this. And so I don't, the only reason I can think of of why she didn't win is because the Oscars push for everything everywhere all at once um, was uh, was much stronger than Black Panther. Black Panther, if this awards ceremony had taken place in December, Angela Bassett would have won. January, probably so. But think of this too. Who was a more vocal supporter of everybody this year? It was Jamie Lee Curtis, right? I mean, you can you can find clips of almost every single awards show where she is cheering on the other nominees. She was beyond excited when Angela won for uh, the Golden Globe. I believe that's she did. Um, she was beyond happy. She was so happy when Michelle... I mean, she was screaming last night when everybody was winning. She kept getting up there and, and uh, holding her arms up in a circular fashion in the air, screaming bagel, because I guess they're, you know, the bagel family now from uh, from that movie. So I think that kind of skewed the voters in a sense by saying, like, Let, let's just give it to her. She's earned it in the same way that Angela Bassett has earned it. Um, but like I said, if I was picking, I think Angela Bassett deserved it way more. And so there's that. That was one big upset. But the other big upset in a good way, and this is where I smiled and said this is the perfect Oscars, Brendan Fraser won Best Actor. And it was, it was telegraphed, right? We talked about it in that prior episode that I keep referencing that typically whatever wins best makeup and hairstyling is going to win best actor, right? I said that. I said, if you're allowed to do that on your balance, switch it last minute, which um, I didn't do, so I missed those. Uh, but the whale won for best makeup and hairstyling. Brendan Fraser won for best actor. And I got to tell you, the feeling that I got seeing him go up there was irreplaceable. I was not expecting that at all. I picked Austin Butler. I mean, it was like a a long shot for Brendan Fraser to win, and he did. And it was just so it was so beautiful seeing him up there. Uh, in the same way that Kiwi Kwan won, uh, that was beautiful. Michelle Yeoh won over uh, Kate Blanchett again, very well deserved. And this is where. Um, and so my, my ballot, I don't know about all of you, but I got 17 out of the 23 correct, uh, which is really good. Um, but part of that is because, you know, I was trusting my gut on a lot of this. Remember, I said a lot of the ones that I picked were the people that I thought who should win. And they did win. And that is why this Oscars was such a good one. But that's only part of it. The other part of it comes down to Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, he hosted the Oscars and he did a phenomenal job. I thought the jokes were fantastic. His opening monologue was insane. It was so good. Um, and there was there was a sort of classiness that felt like it was back at the Oscars. Um, there were no incidents. There was very few sort of questionable things. Like I said, very few upsets. Um, and overall, to me, it made for a very enjoyable show. Now, the only issue is how do we get this show down from three and a half hours? Well, I can think of a few things. Um, you know, there was a moment where he was having to tell some really weird jokes to Malala and Jessica Chastain while they were setting up for um, Wakanda Forever. Uh, they, they could have done that during a commercial. But again, that, you're thinking that's probably three minutes. Here's something else they could have done or stopped doing. Stop showing the best pictures throughout the, throughout the contest. Uh, we don't need to see them. We've seen most of the movies. Half the people that are in here are in those movies. And you're getting snippets and previews of them throughout a lot of the other awards. Um, 
I'd probably have to sit down and rewatch it again to really analyze and see. And again, this is my uh, my job coming out in me of really trying to find the efficiencies and how we can reduce waste in the show. Um, but part of me also would like to acknowledge some of the things that they did to increase the speed of the show, which was having presenters present multiple awards. They had that for the supporting actor-actress, for the best actor-actress, um, but then also... Um, the speeches were shorter. It clearly seemed like maybe the nominees had a talking to prior of like, hey, if you win, you only get this amount of time to talk. Please keep it to that amount of time. Because um, not a single speech went over. The only ones that ever got played off was when somebody spoke and then another person came to speak, which I was totally fine with at that point. It's like, designate your speaker, have them speak, and then you're all done. Um, all Quiet on the Western Front was the other upset. Uh, only in the sense that it ended up becoming the Dune of this year, which is it feels like every year there is one film that ends up taking most of the technical categories but doesn't win Best Picture. Uh, and so this one, it got uh, Best International Film, so congrats to it there. That was well-deserved. And it got Best Original Score over Babylon. Look, I would have put John Williams' score overall quite on the Western front. And the guy that came up to speak, Volker Bertelman, um, no thanks, man. He he started talking about how music was made, and I'm like, you you guys didn't even include Michael Giacchino for the Batman in here, or I, I think it was Hilda Guanadotter for Northman, or uh, God, there were so many great scores that were not even on this list. But to give them that over Justin Hurwitz for Babylon, unforgivable. Uh, production design, same thing. You're gonna give it to that over Babylon. I was wrong on that one as well, but again, it's it's hitting all of these kind of technical categories, though production design isn't exactly technical, but even then, it essentially won four, so it won that, and then it also won, um, again, international film and cinematography. That one, honestly, of all of these categories, though, cinematography, to me, was a toss-up. I did not know who was going to win. I picked Elvis because I'd heard Mandy Walker, um, I think it's like a first female cinematographer, win, awesome, but nope, we're going to give it to All Quiet on the Western Front as well. So those were some of the areas that I got wrong, uh, and then the other ones, I mean, most of the other ones I got right. Best Short went to Irish Goodbye, Animated was Boy Mole Fox Horse, um, film editing went to everything everywhere all at once. That was really cool. Paul Rogers, he said this was his second film. Again, Fresh Blood, loved that. Not to Not to for RRR, best original song. Well deserves an amazing performance. Uh, she said, if you've, you haven't heard Not to Not to, you're about to. Um, that was great. Avatar won for best visual effects. Again, easy peasy. Top Gun is an Oscar winning movie for best sound. Um, what else is on here? Black Panther, Ruth Carter, won for Best Costume Design. She's now the first black woman to win two times, to win an Oscar twice. Uh, unheard of. Awesome. Breaking records. We love that. Navalny won for Best Documentary, and the Navalny family was there. Um, that was super cool. Elephant Whispers for Documentary Short. Um, let's see, were any of these other ones surprises? I don't think so. Um, director for Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Daniels. Uh, and crazy, I actually ended up having a dream about the Daniels last night too, that they, uh, they asked me to help them write the sequel. Uh, and technically they didn't ask me. I, I somehow like joined their friend group 
and uh, we were on like a bus and I was just like, oh, you know, we could, t- we could maybe write about this or talk about this. And here's a couple of ideas. And they're like, wow, this is really cool. Um, so there's a, a snippet into what I dream about, I guess. Uh, Women Talking, one for adapted screenplay. We saw that coming again because they kind of got uh, shafted for Best Director. And then um, Best Original Screenplay went to Everything Everywhere. And Best Picture went to Everything Everywhere. So uh, that movie took in seven Oscar wins, which is huge. It was awesome. So the last bit that I'll say about this is, like I said, the trajectory of the Oscars after tonight or last night, I guess you could say. To me, if you asked and you aren't, and I'm telling you that I think the Oscars are headed in a really strong direction. We've got the 100-year Oscar um, celebration coming in, would that be four years now? No, it'd be five years. But um, five years from now, I think we're going to have a really amazing show. It seems like things are getting better and better. Are there, there hiccups? Yes, absolutely. Not a single woman director. That's kind of an issue. And again, you could argue that none of the women directors were as good as these male directors. That's fine, except that they were in some of these, right? Gina Prince-Blythewood for Woman King was an easy one, and Sarah Pauly for that one. And you could have easily kicked out Ruben Ustlin for uh, Triangle of Sadness and um, Martin McDonough for Banshees of Inishirin, I think, because I'm, I'm okay with Todd Field being there. But part of that goes into the next thing. Why are all of these only five? If they can expand the Best Picture category to 10, they can expand the director and the... I would, I would say director, actor, and actress. All, so those we could call those, and we already do, the big four, expand them either all to 10 or expand those other three to seven or eight. And I think that would cover it. Because to me, there are two awards for the Oscars. There's the award of getting a nomination, and then there's the award for getting a win. And part of that is this discussion with Best Picture. So you've got 10 Best Picture nominations, right? Top Gun Maverick, and Avatar Way of Water are on here in the same way that Black Panther and Dune and All Quiet on the Western Front are on here, right? We know that those movies are not going to win. There's there's always a chance, certainly, but when you're going up against everything everywhere all at once, you're going up against the Fablemans, you're going up against Banshees, there's no way that all 10 of these people are have the same exact chance of winning. There isn't. There mathematically isn't. But... That's where you look at, hey, Top Gun is a Best Picture-nominated film. That is huge. That's a huge boost to that movie. It's a huge boost to the industry. So to me, it makes sense. They're picking a couple of movies that they say, hey, we want to recognize these movies for the achievement that they had, for the achievement that Avatar and Top Gun had, bringing people back into film, uh, back into the movies sort of thing, right? But then there's other ones like Everything Everywhere where it's basically a shoo-in that that movie's going to win. So um, I think that's okay, though. Why can't we have that in these other categories and say, okay, I know that Sarah Pauly is not going to win Best Director when you've got the Daniels there who absolutely were amazing, but let's recognize the achievement that she had as well. And so I think if you can do that for Best Picture, you can certainly do that for some of these other categories. And they may be moving in that direction. Again, it seems like they're taking more feedback. They're trying to make more changes. And one of the biggest changes that I think you see reflected in here and reflected in some of these wins 
is that this cast, and by cast, I mean this group of Oscar, um, you know, the Academy Award group. What is it, like 10,000 people are in this group that can vote. They're, you know, right, I read the articles, there's marketers, there's costume designers, actors, writers, um, you know, uh, just a lot of different people, directors, producers, all from all across Hollywood, from all over the world. And as they've expanded this to make it more inclusive, we are getting a more inclusive nominees list. But at that same time, you're seeing a lot more international flair. They called it out in here, right? They said there was like eight different Irish nominations in here, uh, which is huge. never been done before, right? That's crazy. That's really cool. But you start to see then that certain groups are going to get missed opportunities because of this. So you said, okay, right, we, we talked about the Oscars so white, right? Okay, we need to nominate more African Americans. Fine, that's great. But we're also going to expand our, our group to include people from India, to include people from Ireland, to include people from Africa, to include people from all across the globe, from, the, from Ukraine, from Poland, um, and, and from Germany, right? All quiet on the Western Front. Look at that. And so that's where we're going to get to a very interesting tipping point that I think the Oscars needs to start looking at, which is it's amazing that we are having this giant, huge, diverse international cast of people who are voting, who are doing the nominations. But, you know, start telling that to the crowd that, hey, because of this, you're going to start seeing a ton of variety in the winners you're going to start seeing a ton of variety in the nominees. And so it's tough, right? So suddenly, um, it's almost like you could start theming these, right? This year felt like a huge year for Asian representation with Michelle Yeoh, Kihi Kwan, both of them picking up huge wins with all the nominations as well with Stephanie Hsu, Hong Chao. Um, who else was in here? That might have been it. Um but again, a lot more than there used to be. And because of that, there weren't as many black nominations. There weren't, but there are a lot of Irish nominations. So again, you're going to have to t pick and choose as you go because, you know, we can't just keep getting upset that a certain group is not getting included when all of these other groups are also getting included. And uh, Malala was there, right? We've got Natu Natu. That's from India. In Man, if they'd have, they'd have included it, RRR would have been nominated for a bunch of other things as well. And again, that's great. I'm, I, I love that. And to me, that adds some spice to this award show because now going from, oh, it's just all completely white the entire way to now we are a true multicolored, multifaceted, um, you know, place, but also nominations. It's like, we don't know who's going to win, right? You know, there someone could be giving a great performance here, but we haven't even seen this movie that's coming out in Argentina that has an awesome performance there as well. So it's it's expanding our minds. It's expanding our palates. Uh, but again, is that good or bad at this point? Only time's going to tell, right? Because maybe people are going to get upset in a couple of years that we're not seeing as much American representation at this point. That's at least, <clears throat> if you were to ask me, that would be my prediction, is that in a couple of years, if it kind of goes in this direction, you may start seeing Again, all of the American uh, people kind of teaming up, whether that's Asian, uh, black, Irish, Hispanic, whatever that is, they're going to say, 
well, wh- what about us, right? We can't just keep giving nominations to people from other countries. We need to focus on the country here. Again, it'll be a very interesting conversation to see. But beyond that, I think where it's at right now made for a very exciting show. It made things really interesting. And like I said, it was one of the most entertaining ones that I've seen in a really long time. So check out some of those replays. Um, see what you think. I'd love to hear what your ballot score was as well. If you uh, got close to mine, knocked mine out of the park, I wouldn't be surprised. Some of these could have been telegraphed. Honestly, I should have trusted my gut with Brendan Fraser. But hey, we'll see. And that's what uh, that's what the whole point of it is for, right? There's always going to be people that um, aren't going to be happy about the results, and that's why you know we have our discussions, we have our our outrage and our hot takes, and that's what keeps the uh, the algorithm machine turning. So that's going to do it for us here uh, on Comics and Cinema. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. I'm your host Alex Klein, and we will see you on the Champagne Carpet. Thank you.